0: You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy
1: jump into our Legacy Continued Series. I'm going to move some of these cords. Feeling claustrophobic up here. Um, This is our Genesis series. Did you guys see, can you see Genesis written into the background? Yeah, it's, um, Logan made that and the amazing part is he can't see it because he's colorblind. (laughs) That's the best part about that. Uh, He hid that and he doesn't know how well he hid it because he hid it from himself. But this is, uh, we're in Genesis, and this is our third uh, time jumping into Genesis. Last year, we started in January, and we went through the first 11 chapters. And, and as the book divides up, that's a different, that section of scripture is, is different than the rest of Genesis. And so we looked at uh, the first eleven chapters, and then we, in the summertime last year, we jumped into a series called "The Partner God Pursues," and we looked at the life of of Abraham and and asked the question: What kind of partner is God looking for? God wants to commun- communicate Himself to the world. He chose Abraham. Why that man? Why not Frank? of the Old Testament. I haven't met Frank yet, but um, why not him? And so and now we're looking at this legacy that was passed on to Abraham from God is has gone to Isaac and we looked at a couple of those stories and now we're looking at Jacob and Esau, the next generation. And all of us have received a spiritual legacy of one sort of another maybe it 's a sort of a spiritual legacy you don 't want to talk about. Uh, that was kind of my spiritual legacy you know for much of my growing up. It was kind of a spiritual legacy that you 're like,, Ugh, not a great legacy. Some of us have received a spiritual legacy from our parents that we were really excited about us. other of us needed a spiritual mentor to come alongside of us for us to be, for, for us to be happy or excited or or at least want to talk about that legacy. but we all have a spiritual legacy. And how do we live that out? What does it look like for us to live out our part of the legacy? That's what we're trying to answer in this series. And we're, we're, again, looking through the life of Jacob. Now, last week, we uh, had this slide. There we go. Um, And um, what was the title of last week's sermon? All I remember is Mama Drama, and that's not it. Uh, Oh, it's Pot Meat Kettle. Pot, meat, kettle. Jacob meets his match. Jacob meets his uncle and his uncle. They have the same tactics. There's nothing worse for me personally to find someone who does life like I do it. Conflict arises every time I find another Rob. (laughs) Guaranteed. Have you you ever noticed that? Like you find someone, you're like, oh, they're so irritating. Then someone says, that's because they're like you. Um, (laughs) you're like, no, I don't want the, um, yeah. So Jacob meets his match. He, he meets Laban, his uncle. And we, uh, we see chaos ensue. Jacob left chaos when he left his father's house. And the question is, well, what's going to happen in the new place? Like, have you ever moved locations just to get away from the chaos and you find out the chaos goes wherever you go? That was Jacob's story. And we see the chaos between Leah and, and Rachel. Rachel is the wife that is loved, but she's barren. Leah is this, is this mass producing woman, but uh, she's hated. And so we see 11 of the 12 sons of Jacob born in that section of scripture. And a question I want us to wrestle with as we move into this week's stories because there's several here, does it matter how Jacob lived? you ever read the the Bible and you go, ah, that seems like not a great story and and yet they're one of the patriarchs they're one of the they're one of god's you know the people that we put up on a pedestal like that seems kind of awful and and Jacob up to this point doesn't seem like he's batting a thousand he's maybe batting you know like 200 or, you know, like let's send him to the minor leagues um, for you baseball fans. Uh, Jacob's not, doesn't seem to be doing very well, but Jesus in Matthew eight says, I say to you that many will come from East and West and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Is that what you would expect Jesus to say about Jacob when you read last week's story and, and you read what Jacob has done up to this point? It sounds a little, it's a head scratcher, isn't it? Does, does it matter how you and I live for those of us that say we're Christians? Does, does it matter? Or do we simply pray the prayer and then do whatever? We want to do well. I think this story, you know, provides some commentary on that, and so we're going to take a look at that. Um, just as a footnote, Jacob has twenty-five chapters of Genesis. He gets the most airtime out of any of any of the patriarchs. Um, I think uh, Abraham gets half that. Isaac gets a couple chapters, one chapter that's like really good. And the other chapter is like really not. Um, And so we see more granular detail of Jacob's life. And so maybe that's why we see more of the problems. Maybe God wants us to just have this conversation about, about these problems so that we can learn from them. And I think we should learn from other people's mistakes We should learn from our mistakes too, but we should learn from other people's mistakes. And I think that's part of why we have the scriptures. So let's do some learning. We're in Genesis 30, uh, the latter half of that chapter and all of 31. I'm going to spark note some of this so that we get out of here in time. It came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know my service that I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, please now, or if it now pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on account of you. So we're what, 14 years into the storyline, Jacob has served Laban, his uncle, seven years for the first wife, the wife that he didn't think he was going to get, <laughs> the, the wife he never asked for, seven years for the second wife, and he's going to end up serving Laban a total of 20 years. So we're not exactly sure where this falls within that timeline, but somewhere within that 14 to 20 year spot. And so Jacob, I think has had some thought. He's had some time. He's been out there in the wilderness with the sheep and the goats and all that. And he's had some time to think about this. So he says, let me pass through your entire flock today Removing every speckled and spotted sheep and every black among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, such shall be my wages. So Laban, you get the pure white, you get the good sheep, the good goats, the good lambs. Jacob gets anything speckled and spotted and mottled and all that. And he separated he separated those flocks. Laban's from his, from his own. So continuing in 37, then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them exposing the white that was in the rods. He set the rods where he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the water troughs where the flocks came to drink and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. This is the weird part of the story. <clears throat> I don't recommend doing this. I'm not sure why Jacob is doing this. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped, and all the black in the flock of the Le- of Laban. He put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Hold on. All right. This is weird. Uh, <clears throat> not really sure what's going on. The rabbis don't talk about this much. In fact, in, within the Mishnah, um, there's, there's some footnotes about what's going on here to some other conversations, but it's not talked about. It. And I'm like, this is really weird. Rabbis, please inform me. And they go, Uh, this is either divination, which is which is weird, because Laban is going to say, uh, "I've divine." Well, he did say, "I divined that the Lord has um has blessed me on your account." We know that uh, Joseph uh, has a divination cup later on in the Genesis story, and so there's there's just some there's some mixing of of God's kingdom with worldly stuff, or this is just superstition. You know, throw some salt over your shoulder. You know, make sure you say so many bless yous, <clears throat> that kind of thing. So not sure totally what's going on here, but let's focus in on this next, next verse, next couple of verses. Moreover, Whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutter so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's, the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. Interesting. So Jacob starts out with nothing. He devises a plan and the result of that plan is the man who was in last place ends up in first place. And the person that was in first place ends up in last place, right? You following that? So the man became exceedingly prosperous in the Hebrew. It's ma'od, ma'od. We talk about, Tov meod, all the time. Very good. Comes out of Genesis 1, when God created you, he said you were tov meod, exceedingly good. He becomes exceedingly, exceedingly. Jacob does. He was in last place. He had nothing. He is now exceedingly, exceedingly in first place and he had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now there's a connection to this story and a couple of other stories. We'll talk about that in footnotes. But I want to take a look at this picture. <clears throat> He's got this flock and he he could go for equality, he he could go for weakness. Or he could go for strength. Like there's some options here that, that Jacob has. He could work towards everybody winning, but he doesn't do that. He works to where he's strong and Laban is weak. This doesn't seem like kingdom values, does it? Does it seem like all nations will be blessed through you? Well, except for your uncle. Isn't this problematic? I mean, Jesus says, um, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says kingdom values is we are going to choose weakness. Jesus had all the riches of the universe as God's son. He left that. He became poor so that you and I could be rich. But Jacob doesn't choose that. He doesn't seem to be choosing kingdom values here. And so Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Fair statement. All true. Jacob saw that the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Also true. And what did you expect? You made yourself rich, and your close relative poor. How's that work in your households? I <laughs> mean, we like isn't this the the classic sibling rivalry? You know, the the one brother has everything, and the other brother has nothing in their eyes, or the older has loses everything, so the younger has. Like we see the, the this this play out in our families. And this is a mess. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. I will be with you. Now, God reaffirms with Jacob, the promise made 20 years prior that he would be with Jacob wherever he went. And it seems like Jacob has forgotten that and needs to be reminded. And so Jacob sent him for his wives and he says, Man, dad's not happy. <laughs> uh, you know, he talks about the speckled and the striped sheep and he seems to blame Laban that it was your dad who said, Well, your wages will be speckled. No, 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 no. Your wages will be striped. And that his dad changed uh, his wages 10 times. And then he makes this statement, thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. Um, Just because Jacob says that doesn't mean it's true, at least from God's perspective. Okay. Uh, I don't think this is, when I hear Jesus talk about the kingdom and how it's supposed to come about, I don't think that this was ordained by the Lord. And then Jacob shares with his wives the vision from God, which seems to kind of confirm his story, at least the way he's seeing it. And God says to him in the vision, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. And again, God reminds him of the vow. He says, now arise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. And so the daughters are like, yep, Jacob, We're on board with you. And so let's take a look at this first verse in 3120. And Jacob deceived Laban. God says, I'm with you. You made a vow to me. And Jacob deceived Laban. This is the Holy Spirit communicating to us about the reality of the situation. The Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing, so he fled with all that he had. And he rose and crossed the Euphrates river and set his face toward the hill country of Galeed. And so this picture, again, he's got a couple options before him. He may not see it that way. He may not see this as an option to be honest with Laban. Maybe he doesn't trust that Laban's going to deal with him appropriately. But he had an option. He chose deception. And I don't think this is just Jacob's problem, this could be Rob's problem. Maybe you identify with this problem. Maybe you've shaded the truth a little bit. Maybe like me, you've withheld certain information. Maybe your taxes, eh, they probably don't need as much as they think they need. And so we'll just fudge that number or you know, whatever. Apostle Paul thought this was an issue within the first church. He says that in reference to your former manner of life, you will lay aside the old self, which is being corrupt in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See deceit is, is a, is a, is a tactic that we learn early. I, who doesn't remember telling a great big lie as a kid and getting away with it? And and like, like, who doesn't have that memory? Raise your hand if you don't remember that. Some of us don't want to remember that far back. Especially the ones in the back. The younger ones are like, no, no, I don't want to think about that. I won't make anybody raise their hand. Um, we learned early that that n- not telling the whole truth helps us sometimes. Shading the truth to our side of the story, manipulating some of the facts is beneficial. We learned that early. We, we could watch it on TV all day long. Some of my favorite sh- movies and shows, I mean, they lie to everybody. Oceans seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, you know. Fifty-three. Um like those are some of the funniest stories full of lies. You know, and and you know, in the right right circumstances, the lie is the best thing to tell, right? I mean, isn't that what we're told? We're told that you'd be renewed in the mind in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God. We're told in the scriptures that there's no deceit found in God. And we're, we're to put on this new self that we would be in the likeness of God who has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Each of you, with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. In other words, our lying hurts the family, hurts the community, hurts the fabric of, of the things that we're trying to create. Community. It hurts the church. And so Jacob has his choice and chooses deception. We're told later that uh, Laban pursued Jacob, that on the third day that he had heard that Jacob fled, went over Jacob's tent. It's not there. Nothing's there. Um, They took, uh, and so Laban takes his kinsmen with him and pursued Jacob, a distance, of seven days journey to the hill country of Gilead. In verse 24, we're told that God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. This is not the kind of dream you want to have from God. <laughs> it's not the kind of message you want to have from God as you pursue someone for deceiving you. And so we're told that Laban says to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me? why did you carry away my daughter's Like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and deceive me? Twice he talks about deception. And he says, it's in my power to destroy you, to harm you. But God, the God of your father spoke to me last night. And so Laban is mad at Jacob. He can't really do anything about it. But he says this, but why did you steal my God's? Why did you steal my gods? Now, now, Jacob wasn't the one that stole the gods. It was his wife. That's another conversation we'll probably have on footnotes. Um, why is his wife taking idols from her father? <clears throat> and Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid. For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. The one whom you find your gods the one with whom you find your gods shall not live. Jacob says, and he says in the presence of our kinsmen point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them from the lips of Jacob. He releases a curse. Now we said that a few weeks ago that the, that blessings are powerful, that, that, that we obligate God through, through blessings. In the Eastern mindset, we obligate God when we curse as well. But cursing was never supposed to be our role. This, this starts with Noah, right? He curses his grandson. We'll talk about that story On footnotes, we'll just kind of highlight some of that again. But Jacob is going to regret his words. What does he say about the one who stole? That they would die. Well, pretty quickly, Rachel in the storyline will die. Our words matter. And again, we got this picture. Jacob's accused, and 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 what do you do with that? What what happens when you're wrongly accused? I, I don't know about you, but I get a little defensive. Jacob seems a little defensive here when he, when he's accused, and and from his perspective, he's wrongly accused. Have you ever thought you were wrongly accused and find out that by accident you were? <laughs> You, you were rightly accused all along I've, I've had that happen before um he's accused he's called to be a blessing to all nations but to his own wife he issues a curse he didn't realize that she was the target of his curse I've done that. Have you ever said something kind of mean to somebody and and then you realize what you you were really saying some, a mean thing to someone you cared about? Well, the jerk that did this, blah, 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 blah. And you find out the jerk is your beautiful wife. And you're like, oh, who's the jerk now? Um, (laughs) This guy. We are called to be a blessing, Peter says, And I know we've hit on this and you were like, man, Rob, you keep hitting on this. The story keeps hitting on it. It's an important storyline. But Jesus says, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, every careless word that you and I speak, we will give an account to because it matters. Our words matter. They have an impact on people. And so Laban, he searched the tents. He's looking for his idols. And and Rachel, uh, who'd stolen them, she hid him in a camel saddle. And she sat on the camel saddle. And then she said, I'm sorry. Don't be angry, but I can't rise before you. The manner of woman is upon me. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And he did not look there. <laughs> So, um, and it's at this point that Jacob becomes angry with Laban because Laban doesn't find anything. He said, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toils of my hands. He has rendered judgment last night. I think this is a foreshadowing to another story that we'll see maybe starting in Exodus chapter 1. We'll talk about that in footnotes. I think this also connects to some other stories in the past. Uh, Maybe another pharaoh, maybe an Abimelech. We'll talk about that in footnotes. All kinds of fun there. Then Laban replied to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day? To my daughters or to their children whom they have born. So come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, Laban says, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban caught it, called it uh, I'm not sure what to do with that word. Uh, Jager schnitzel. That's what we'll call that. Um, something like that. But Jake would call it Galeed. We'll call it Galeed. Cause that's easier to say. Uh, one's Aramaic one's Hebrew. Um, Laban said this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was named Galeed and Mizpah. So many names in a little time. And he said, may the Lord watch between you and me. When we're absent from one another, if you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Now Laban certainly sounds religious here, doesn't he? I mean, he's talking talking about God, but Jacob is the one who sets up a pillar. And they eat a meal, and that meal is supposed to symbolize we are at peace with each other. They wouldn't eat that meal together if there wasn't peace. And Laban, he, he calls the pl- place one name, Jacob calls it a- another name. But are they really at peace? Because pay attention to what happens next. There's going to be another meal and another pile of rocks here the bond said to Jacob, behold this heap and behold the pillar, which I have set before you and me, this heap is a witness. And the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm. And you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Jacob builds his pillar like he did when he was at Baal, he builds his pillar to the God of his father and his grandfather. Laban, he builds his pillar to the God that Abraham used to serve to the God of his idols that he's missing. All right. And we're told that early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So again, Laban, he, he has his pillar. Jacob has his pillar. They're two different gods. They eat two meals, but the language around those meals doesn't sound like they're at peace with each other. It sounds kind of like North Korea and South Korea, doesn't it?? And it's at this time that Jacob offers a sacrifice. I think Jacob is trying to communicate, "Levon, you could build your pillar whomever you want, but my God is my God, and I'm going to serve my God." And, and Jacob's at this crossroad again. He's establishing a covenant. And he chooses to build an altar to the living God, while while Laban is building his altar, his pile of rocks to his idols. Now, I want to talk about idols for just a minute here. Let's say this is an idol. Some of you might be idling this because it's kind of warm in here. Um, I'm going to take a drink. But let's say this is my idol. We're told to not build idols. Why is that? Why as followers of Christ are we told not to build idols? Well, this idol represents this God in the unseen world. Like when they would build their idols, they didn't anticipate that, you know, this, this thing in my hand was actually the thing like this just represents something else. This is a physical manifestation of, of this reality that lives out there in the universe somewhere. That's why they had idols. Why are we not supposed to build idols? Because God already has something in place to represent him. He actually has some ones in place to represent him. And that's you and I see, we are that representation to the world that there is a living God and sometimes we live out that representation really, really well. And sometimes not so well, not so great. And we've seen four different times that Jacob comes to this crossroad, right? He chooses, he chooses to deceive. He chooses to curse and he chooses to make himself strong and his close relative weak. Like the first three times he's not doing this. He's not living this out. Well, maybe, maybe the fact that the guy came back to him in a vision came back to him in a dream and reminded him that he would be with him always. And that he made a vow. Reminded. And I don't know about you, but I've been there where I've gotten off track I've gotten off the path. Like Jesus says, there's a narrow path, right? That we walk. And I've been far from that path. And when I try to witness to people, when I finally build my altar, and I've been away from the path for a long time 20 years, Jacob's been away from the path. Like, how's that witness going for Jacob with his uncle? No, no, no. We're going to call on the God of the heavens. No, no. no. We're going to call on the creator God. No, no, no. We're going to call on the God that uh, shows up. That hears our prayers. We're going to call on the God that's not mute. We're going to call on the God that actually talks to us. He talked to you. He talked to me. And is Laban ready for that witness at this point? Like he, Jacob, I spent 20 years with you. And you want to talk to me about God now? Like when we live a life of mixed values, it creates chaos. Not just for us. I mean, Jacob is living in utter chaos. He's, he's fearful for his life, but he's creating chaos for his family, for his uncle, for his uncle's kinsmen. Like the whole community is living in, And chaos. And I think that's this week's implication. Living a life of mixed values will bring chaos. And I've tried everything that, uh, that Jacob tries here. Um, You know, I've, I've lived mixed values in college. I would chase after girls and go to parties and, and, uh, I won't say everything just because we have kids in the room, but there's a, you know, like I chase after all kinds of things. And then I come home having drank stuff other than water, um, a lot of it. And I would try to read my scriptures like that's about as chaotic as you get. In the military, there were times where I sensed that God was blessing me. That I was moving up in the ranks and, and I was put in a position because God was blessing. But there are other times where I felt like I had to fall into the, the pattern that you see in the military where we discard the weak, where we dominate. Yeah, you know, move, follow, or get out of my way, right? I tried that. With my family. Uh, There's been a lot of things I've done really, really well with within my family. You know, I introduced my kids to Christ. I pray for my kids on a regular basis. There's, there's, I introduce them to the scriptures. Um, To partner with my son on Father's Day to provide a service is just a huge blessing for me. But when I mix in anger and resentment in my fatherly skills, I create chaos within business. We knew as my parents, our family business, we knew that God was the one that was providing for us. We knew that when things were hard, when things were tight, that God was showing up, he was sending people away. But then there was those times where we just kind of fudged the truth a little bit to get a job. When we would skew the numbers a little bit, when we would, Withhold information. Creating chaos. And it's an impact, has an impact on what people see. Because Laban has his idols. The world has you and I. That they're supposed to see, oh wait, there's a different kind of God. There's a God that actually hears. There's a God that interacts with us. There's, if we could go back a slide. You got the, um, Here we go. You have the idol, but you also have this sacred relationship. See, God doesn't want you just to fall in love with church. Although that's part of it. He wants you to fall in love with this sacred relationship. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to know his leading. He wants you to know his blessing, his favor. Not so that you could dominate everybody else, but so that everybody else can experience those things as well. Otherwise, church becomes another idol. And that's dangerous. So some next steps. Wrestle with the question, where are you choosing strength over weakness? Where are you choosing to dominate? Where is it that you're tired of being in last place and so you're willing to do anything to be in first place? It could be in a relationship. It could be at work. It could be at school. Where are you choosing strength over weakness? Jesus... Became weak, became poor, so that you and I could be rich. I cannot like heaven compared to here. We're like how much poor can you get? <laughs> Paul says, "I choose weakness." That's not always what Rob wants to choose, though. Where are you choosing strength over weakness? Number two, wrestle with the question: Where are you choosing deception? Over truth. Where are you willing to fudge the facts? Where are you willing to withhold things? Where do you think it's okay to just flat out lie? We gotta, we gotta root that out. Paul says. Number three, wrestle with the question, where are you choosing to curse instead of Bless. I'm talking about driving down reserve and someone cuts you off and that middle finger within your hand starts to raise up a little bit. Or just the words start to come off your lips a little bit. Or maybe you just think about, you just think about it. or you, It's under your breath. It's those under your breath comments, as you say, as you're walking away from the person. When you say, I hope, I hope they get what they deserve. I hope I never get what I deserve. And I hope you don't get what you deserve. And I hope they don't get what they deserve. Jesus says the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. The problem is not that other person. The problem is the evil that still lingers inside of me. I want us to become a church where we are constantly willing to look at that, that evil. I know we could talk about their evil. I know that's a, a conversation we can have, but are we willing to have the conversation about the evil that resides in us, where we speak things that Christ would never say and that we'll give an accounting for Where are you choosing the curse instead of bless? And then number four, wrestle with the question, in what ways are you choosing religious observance? That's easier to say than religiosity. Where are you choosing religious observance over relationship with Christ? Do you anticipate hearing from Jesus? Do you anticipate him leading you, directing you or as life as a Christian become this thing that we check off? There's this, there's, there's this laundry list of things that we have to do. All right. Got Sunday scored away. Let's, let's get out of here. All right. Got care group scored away. Whew. Let's go home. Now we can get to real life. Now we can get to the things we really care about, the things that we're really passionate about. We got those things squared away. We, we made our community think that we're you know happy. Or you hear out of relationship, out of connection, out of intimacy, out of celebration, out of love. Because if you're not, we want to help you get there. Like if, if you've never been there, we want to help you get there. And if you were there at one point, but you're not there today, like I, I get that. I, I, I've been there. Wrestle with the question, in what ways are you choosing religious observance? Where church has become the thing that helps people know who you are and what you're about. I go to church versus this relationship this sanctified, this glorious relationship with the creator of the universe. My great desire is to experience him. And my great desire is for you to experience him too. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus says, follow me. And that, and that invitation is still there for us to follow him. It's always to follow him. God doesn't go where we lead. We go where God leads. I don't know if you noticed that or not. In the scriptures, find this circumstance where God follows the other person to figure out what the other person wants done. You won't see it. Jesus says, follow me. And I will make you something that you're not today. Fishers of men. In the great commission, we're told make disciples. And we have this great promise. I am with you always. What an amazing promise. It's the same promise that God gave to Jacob. Make disciples. And I'm with you always. That's what we're called to. And when we don't, Live for that, we're living for less than everything that God has for us, which ultimately is to experience and enjoy Him. It matters how we live. We're gonna see that in in the the letters of John. We're gonna in our next series, we're gonna look at first John, second John, and third John. We're going to see it's an important conversation for for the apostle that was about as intimate as you could get with Jesus, laying his his head on his chest during the Last Supper. It's an important conversation. It matters how we live. It makes a difference to not only to us, but to the people around us and their experience and how they see our God because because an idol will never communicate this glorious God that we serve.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.